thank you that you are our comforter. We thank you that you are king and that you are on the throne, God. Thank you for the comfort and the peace that we can have in our lives knowing that you are there, that you are in control and and nothing happens without your knowledge, without your understanding. As messed up as our world is today, Father, we know that you have a plan. And we thank you that you want to use us in your plan to accomplish your will. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hopefully by now your Bibles just fall open to Nehemiah. This is our last Sunday in Nehemiah. Kind of going to miss the guy. He's been my hero since the mid-80s when I first studied him. Got a lot of respect for this guy. Had a lot going on and had a lot going for him. If Nehemiah had, or I should say, if Hudson Taylor had been born about 2,500 years earlier, Nehemiah may have used one of his quotes. If I'm going to give you the quote, I probably ought to get the right page up on my notes here. When God's work is done in God's way, for God's glory... It will not lack God's support. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. And we've seen that over and over again throughout the book of Nehemiah. Now I could spend six weeks just reviewing the book and and concluding it, but I'm just going to pick some highlights today that, that I want you to remember going forth. Hopefully you'll remember more, but just at the very as the very basic. Now we, we can't talk about Nehemiah without those rascally I don't even I, I shouldn't make light of it. Those those guys, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. They're they're woven throughout the book because they were a thorn in the flesh. They were bred in sin, and they're to this day they are a thorn in Israel's side. If you study Nehemiah, you'll understand. And, and there's a lot of books that, that use Nehemiah as an example of leadership. I should say a lot of leadership books. They want to talk about Nehemiah and his methods and his techniques. But the one thing that Nehemiah always did is he stood toe-to-toe with them. He didn't back down. When, when they came to accuse him of wrongdoing, when they came to try to discourage him and the work, We frequently found him praying and using scripture to refute them and stop them in their tracks and say, get out of here. You got no part of this. Just get lost. They even tried to kill him. They had plans set up. God gave him discernment and he saw through that and he said, no, I'm not going to come out there and meet you because if I come out there, the work's going to stop here. Enough said about Sam Ballot and Tobiah, but they're all through the book. You can't can't miss them. A couple other ones that we'd rather forget about is Eliashib, the high high priest. You say, what? Well, if you look in chapter 3, when they're building the wall, it talks about the section that he was building with his family, and it was all good, and it looked like he was a good high priest. 
And we get to chapter 13 and we see that he's let one of those scoundrels into the temple. He's cleared out the, the items that were there for worship and he let Tobiah live in the house of God. Tobiah wasn't even supposed to be in Jerusalem. So he got rid of Eliashib and put in men that could be trusted with the work of the house of God. And then the nobles, we, we, we'll just mention them in passing too. We saw them repeatedly. And although there were several times that Nehemiah called them out, he, he never really, what do I want to say, he never separated them because they had a role and responsibility there, but it was always like he was having to give them extra training and education and, and teaching them God's ways to come alongside and to do it right and to do it well. So the, the nobles, they, they really weren't all that noble, at least not the, the work that they did here in Nehemiah. Today we're going to briefly look at obedience, prayer, giving God the glory and the credit, and of course, we're going to end with amen and amen. Obedience. Look at chapter 1 with me, if you would. Verses 8 and 9. Remember the word which you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, and here's the key, and keep my commandments and do them. Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Now we know that, that we are not Israel, but the principle is there, that if we will obey God, we will have his blessing in our lives. And then chapter 13, of course, the whole chapter. Each week we sang the, the I don't know, I, to me it was an old Sunday school song, Obedience, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best thing to show that we believe. If you have faith in God, if you love God, you will be obedient to him and to his word. No questions asked. Obedience. We went over it and over it and over it. It is in, in, in uh, chapter, I better look real quick so I don't say the wrong chapter. I want to say 10. Yep, chapter 9. <laughs> chapter 9, when the, when the uh, and we'll get there, but when the, the, the Levites had the whole, the whole chapter is the prayer of the Levites. And they basically go through a, a review of the history of Israel. And just the cycle that they were continually on. There was obedience and then there was God's blessing. And then they would turn away. They would marry women from the other countries and start worshiping their gods. And, and they would turn from God. And they would sin. And then there would be God's judgment. And after time then, they would repent of their sin. And they would come back to obedience in, in Him. And then they would experience his blessing again. And, but the cycle, just over and over and over. And, and I, I, as I've said many times, we've gone through Nehemiah. It's, I, I'm just so glad that we've all got it figured out, that we don't ride that cycle, that we just are always in that obedience phase, right? Oh, if it was only so. And I speak for myself as well. 
But when we are on the positive side of that cycle, we experience God's blessing. And when we're in our mode where we take him off the throne and put ourselves up there on the throne, he removes his blessing and calls his judgment on us. That's not a great place to be. So let's just obey him and stay in the, stay on the right side of that cycle. If it was only that easy, right? In uh, chapter 13, we had the, the incident with uh, Eliashib and the high priest putting Tobiah in there. Then there was the case where the, the people weren't bringing their offerings to the temple. And they weren't keeping the Sabbath. And then they were marrying the foreign women. And what grief that caused them. It even talks about Solomon and the damage that it did in his life. To marry, and it wasn't, a, we've talked about that, it wasn't about, it isn't a racial issue or an ethnic issue. It's a spiritual issue. Because the ladies from other nations would bring in their idols. And the men wanting to keep peace wouldn't have a backbone and stand up and stay true to the word of God. So they would worship the gods, the stone and the wood carvings. It was not in obedience to God's word. And over and over we looked in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where it very clearly said what they were to do and what they were not to do. And they had the great, the great, the great signing of the, not their declaration of independence, but their, their declaration or their vow to God that they would stay true to the word. In the very next chapter, they'd already turned their back on half of what they just vowed to not do. Again, aren't you glad we don't do that? Prayer. We're going to spend a, the bulk of our time here today in reviewing the prayer because as we started out with our verse, the king said, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. There, there's a better verse for that Nehemiah, but it was a lot longer than that and one to fit on the board. So chapter 1. 12, 12 times in the book it, it talks about Nehemiah going to prayer. Spending time and, and seeking the Lord's, the Lord's will. And, and I'll go back to that quote again real quick from Hudson Taylor. God's work done in God's way for God's glory will not lack God's support. I don't want to jump the gun and, and give you my conclusion right now, but as, as we've seen with, with last summer, about this time we were in the midst of, of tearing our buildings down. We needed to do it God's way and in God's time. And when we did that, God supplied. And he met the need that we had. Now we're ready to start rebuilding. And we're waiting for God's supply as an indication to know that we're doing God's plan. Not our own plan. Not our own plan. We want to wait for God's plan. And then let God perform it and carry it out. Another one of Hudson Taylor's quotes, I didn't write it down, so I probably won't get it exactly right, but it's um, something to the effect that you need to dream so big 
that you know the only way it succeeds is if God's hand is in it. Dream so big that the only way it could possibly succeed is that God does it. And we'll see that in in our review today too. But in chapter 1, verse 4, it came to pass when, when, when I heard these words and his brother and some other fellows came back from Jerusalem and told him the sad, sorry state that the walls were in and, and that the people were discouraged and, and beaten down. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying for the God of heaven. What did he do? He didn't say, God, here's my plan. Bless it. Make it work. He went to the Lord, said, God, help. I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. That's one of my soapboxes, you know. Somebody that can hit a 450-foot home run, that is not awesome. I'm sorry. It's, not, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. It's not awesome. God is awesome. God is worthy of our awe and our praise. The great and awesome God preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. There's that obedience factor. It requires our obedience. And He's continuing to pray. Verse 6, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant which I am praying before you now day and night. He was persistent. It wasn't just an occasional thought. On behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants confessing the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Moses didn't point the finger, and neither, neither did Nehemiah. Didn't point the finger and say, all you people are sinning, so we're having God's judgment on you. No. He understood and acknowledged that it was his sin as well. It was the sin of him and his family. He was responsible. It wasn't everybody else's fault. Of course, we don't do that at all today in our society. We never blame anybody else. We always take responsibility, right? For what's wrong and what's our responsibility. And as the leader, Nehemiah stood up and he said, it's the sin of me and my father's. We have sinned against you, God. Forgive us for that. We've already read verses 8 and 9 in his prayer. But verse 10, it was, They are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your great hand. Our God is an awesome God. He is a great God. There is none like him. He is the king. Chapter 2, verse 4. It's our verse up here on the board. And the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. If we looked at the calendar, we'd know that Nehemiah had been praying for four and a half months. So you say, well, that's kind of a trite prayer. I just prayed. Well, in the king's presence, he didn't have time to get on his knees and bow and pray. 
But we know that over the last four and a half months, he spent hours, day and night, on his knees before God. So that when he got in the battle, when he got in the fight, when he got in front of the king, all he had to do was pray to the God of heaven. Doesn't say what he said right there. God help. (laughs) That might have been all it was. But he had that conversation going on. God knew what he was talking about. God knew the situation he was in. God knew what was coming down. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. First, first few verses there are, are the opposition of Sambal and Tobiah and the criticism and ridicule that's coming. And in verse 4, Nehemiah prays, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. You know, some people might think that my prayer at the beginning might be a little harsh. Did God bless those that preach the truth of your word and remove your blessing from those churches that do not preach the word of God? I take Nehemiah's lead. Verse 5. It's hard. It's tough love. So do not forgive their inequity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee for they have demoralized the builders. God, they've come between us and the work, your work. Hold them responsibility. God, I'm not going to carry this baggage. I'm giving it to you. You take care of it. So we talked about the difference between revenge and vengeance. Revenge is sinful. That's what we do. Vengeance is what the perfect judge does and what he carries out. And Nehemiah asks for it right here. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own head. You've heard the expression, what goes around comes around? Right here. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Put it back on their head, God. I've got work to do. I've got to build a wall. I've got to lead these people in building this wall and getting this done. Because that's the task you've given. I want to keep my focus here, God. Please take care of this mess. I'm going to leave it with you. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Okay, the the ridicule continued. Verse 8, the the enemy conspired against them, but again, verse 9, they're right back to praying for God's help. And then they also took action. They didn't just pray about it. They knew God expected them to do something about it as well. So they set up guard to protect the city and the workers while they were building. Chapter 5, verse 19. If, if you recall, this was our, our great chapter. The first six verses, there was a great outcry. Because the Jews were oppressing themselves. They were 
putting tax and usury on their brothers and sisters. And that was directly against the law. So there was a great outcry. Verse 7, Nehemiah came up with a great assembly. Then the last part of the chapter, he set the great example in the way that leaders and the way that people should behave and carry out their godly responsibility. So we get down to the last verse in that chapter, and Nehemiah says, Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah, as a godly leader, wanted God's blessing on his life. He didn't need man's accolades. He didn't need a a pay raise. He didn't need all the, the, the attaboys and the pats on the back from the people. He simply wanted God to remember what he was doing for God's work. According to all that I've done for this people. Remember, in, that, in, in verse 13, he prays that a few times. Very similar to that. Chapter 6, verse 9. Again, various, various uh, approaches to the opposition. Verse 9, he says, For all of them were trying to frighten us thinking that they will become discouraged with their work and it will not get done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah knew and understood that if the work was going to get done, it was because God was involved. Strengthen my hands, God, so that we can get this work done. If it's going to get done, it's going to involve God's power in our lives. And we're only going to see that power if we're obedient to Him. Verse 14. Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Again, Nehemiah is not shy in calling down God's judgment on the opposition. Chapter 9. We're not, we're not going to read it because it's the entire chapter, verses 5 through 38. We briefly mentioned this is the prayer of the Levites and the review of the history of the people and the cycle that they were in. Just a couple I want to point out. Verse 17, Nehemiah 9. They refused to listen. They did not remember the wondrous deeds that you have performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. The note I've gotten in the margin of my Bible says, this is stupid. Sin is stupid. Why in the world would they, in their stupidest imaginations, want to go back to Egypt? But sin causes us to do stupid things and think stupidly. Obviously, this was not one of their obedience moments. Verse 21, a note in in my margin I've got written down, they lacked nothing, but they appreciated nothing. I'm glad we always have a grateful heart. It's the kind of heart we need to have. That's the kind of heart that's going to put that smile on your face when you're singing praise songs to God. When you're exalting Him and His name. 
and leaving him on the throne where he is and where he belongs. A lot of that's that's a long a long prayer. We could keep divulging into that, but just to point out a couple highlights. Chapter ten, we have the declaration: keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord. In verse twenty nine. For the last of the prayers, chapter 13, last chapter, Nehemiah. Verse 14, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. I've done this for you, God. Remember me. Again, he's not looking for human accolades. He's not looking for the attaboys and the pats on the back. He's looking for God to remember him. Verse 22. Last part of the verse. Oh my God, have compassion on me according to the greatness of thy loving kindness. Verse 29. Remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priests and leave, even to the end of the, the book. He's asking the Lord to remember those that are being disobedient, those that are not carrying out the work. And then his final prayer at the end of verse 31, remember me, oh my God, for good. I, I, I pray that that is one of your prayers. That you would seek God and ask him to remember you. That you are not looking for human pats on the back because they're worthless, they don't do anything. My time in the military, you'd be put in for airmen or NCO of the quarter. And God was very gracious, but, you know, those little plaques and stuff, they're just in a box in the bottom of the closet. They don't mean a thing. What we do for God matters. What we do for Him counts for eternity. What we do in this community, what we do in Newberry matters. And it's my prayer that it's your prayer that you would ask God to remember you for your good, for the good that you do for Him and for His work. Now let's go back to the beginning of Nehemiah again. We're going to go through the whole book again. That was our section on prayer. And now... I, I, I kind of fumbled around, not sure what to title this part of it. And at one time I was saying, to God be the glory, uh, and, and because of God. And, and this is so critical in our lives. Is that we understand that if anything happens in our, in, in our life, if we allow God to work, it's, it's because of Him. It's His strength. It's His power that works in us to, to, shape us, to bring us about to be the person that he wants us to be. That's why I'll, I'll say from Sunday to Sunday, I hope you come back next Sunday different than you are today. Ripe, ripe is rotting, green, green is growing, ripe is rotting. Folks, if you're not growing, you stink, okay? And that's true in my life. If we're not growing, if we're not loving God more, if we're not growing closer to Him each and every day, you're going to start to stink. 
So grow closer to him. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. This, this is right after this prayer on our board here. The king said, what, what should I do? How can I help you? And Nehemiah prayed to God. And, and, and the king is, is providing letters. He's providing materials and resources to, as, as he goes back to Jerusalem from Babylon to rebuild the walls. And, and Nehemiah gives credit where credit's due at the end of verse 8 in chapter 2. And the king granted them to me. Why? Because I was such a great cupbearer. He wanted to reward me for the great job I did for him. <laughs> Had nothing to do with that. He says the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. The good hand of my God was on me. That's why the king did what the king did. In the next few verses, just talk about uh, as he went through the provinces that the, that the forester cut the trees that they needed. Verse 12, when he got back to Jerusalem, it says, I arose in the night and a few men with me. Excuse me. <clears throat> I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. If we're walking in obedience, if we're walking hand in hand with God, God will give us the plan. God, and and Nehemiah acknowledged that it was God that was putting the plan in his mind because nowhere in God's word does it tell us that Nehemiah was a civil engineer, that he got a four-year degree from some great university in CE. But he figured it out because God put it in his head. Hmm. He didn't depend on himself. He knew the source of his understanding. He knew the source of his plan. Verse 18 of chapter 2. I told them how the good hands of my God had been favorable to me. And also about the king's word that he had spoken. When the people understood it, they said, let us arise and build. And they didn't just talk about it. They didn't just say, let us arise and build. They put their hands to the work. That was very obvious last summer out here. To all the hands that were put to work. It was faith in motion, faith in action. We believed we were doing God's work in the way that he had it planned. Wasn't always pleasant, wasn't always fun. (laughs) But we knew that we were doing it according to his plan and it is his time. That project had been talked about for years. But the time came. God gave us the, the strength and the resources to move forward and to accomplish it. Verse 20, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Nehemiah didn't say, we'll do that, we'll carry this on our backs, we'll do this ourselves, we'll get this work done, we'll do it, we, 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 no. There wasn't even a bunch of I's in there. There sure wasn't a bunch of we's. 
It was God will give us success in this work. God will get it done. Chapter 4, verse 14. Again, we have an awesome God. When I saw their fear, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your house. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. Verse 20, whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, because our God will fight for us. Remember when we were in Joshua and we looked at Deuteronomy 3.23? God will fight your fights for you. God sent fear ahead into Jericho just like he said he would. And here again, he says it, our God will fight for us. He's never lost one yet. Why not let him take over and fight the battle for you? There's not a pitcher in baseball or a quarterback or anybody that's got that kind of record. Let God fight your fights for you. He'll see you through. He'll carry it through. Chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. I think this is my new favorite verse in, in Nehemiah. This is one I get excited about. The wall was completed on the 25th of the month, LL, in 52 days. And it came about that when our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. When you do God's work, is done in God's way for God's glory, you will not lack God's support. That's not just financial. That's spiritual as well. You will not lack God's support. And when your enemy acknowledges that God won the battle for you, you know you're doing something right. They lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. That's exciting, folks. Amen and amen. Just so our visitors don't get nervous, look at chapter 8 real quick. Chapter 8, verse 6. And in chapter 8, it's the revival. They found the, they, they brought out the, the law of God. And the people are, want to repent of their sins. And they, and he read the word all day. In verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while they were lifting up their hands. So although we say it's not baptistical, it is certainly biblical to raise your hands and say, Amen, Amen. That was my last point. I didn't even finish the other part. Chapter 8, 
chapter 12, verse 43. Remember the dedication of the wall? You had two choirs. One went the east and north route up, and the other went around on the west on top of the wall that supposedly a fox could knock over. The choirs went out and they met at the temple. And they were praising God. It was a celebration. It was a joyous occasion. They even had raucous music. I don't know about how raucous it was, but they had cymbals and tambourines and, you know, those things that today we say should never come into a church. On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God, because God, Still say someday I'm going to do a series on but God in the Bible. But this is because of God. Because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. How many times does afar hear our singing on Sunday morning? Maybe if we opened our doors it would go a little farther. But the joy, because God worked, because God did his thing in Jerusalem, the people rejoiced. And it was heard a long way off. How exciting would that be if we woke up Newberry every Sunday morning? Go back to chapter 5. <laughs> this, this is to go with my last point from 8.6. Chapter 5, verse 13. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill his promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. I know as as Baptists we tend to be during church. And I tell you, it's it's not because of anything that I say that I ever expect you to say amen or praise the Lord or hallelujah. But it's because God's word is being preached. God's word is being taught. That's why we should say amen. So be it. So be it. That this is the only thing that's ever going to be taught from this pulpit. Ever. So be it. It's the only way it should be. So Nehemiah was certainly a man of prayer. He depended on the Lord. And in, in very much, oh, I don't, I do have it, excuse me, just a minute. But now that we're into the, at the end of the book, I'm going to go to the front of one of my books for a quote. Being a leader is an unenviable calling. 
<laughs> it appears glamorous and glorious, but it is more often lonely and thankless. As we shall see, the best leaders are actually servants. Unselfishly, they give of themselves to accomplish the objectives, regardless of the sacrifice or cost. The perils are ever-present, and the toll is great, but so are the rewards, fleeting though they may be. As, as Nehemiah was very lonely at times, and standing firm, standing for what was right, and to tell the people, we need to be obedient, we must, we have to be, it's not an option, it's not a choice, we must be obedient to God's word. And then he repeatedly saw God's blessing. The people saw God's blessing when they were obedient. But then they'd get on that crazy cycle again and spin around and around. It's not a fun. Think of the, what is it, the gerbils that do the wheels in their cage? That's not a fun cycle to be on. Get you nowhere, literally. So now what? How how are you different? And again, this is not a not a uh, a judgment on how well or how poorly I, I preached Nehemiah since last September. It's a matter of what God is doing in your heart, how God is working in your life. I know one of the things that this has taught me. That, that I, I will hopefully, I, I don't know if I learned this when I went through Nehemiah back in the 80s. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on being better at it, and I, and I hope that I will be and continue to. And, and once we leave Nehemiah, I'm not just going to try to forget it. But doing what Nehemiah did in that he prayed, and he gave God, he gave God the credit for putting God's plan into his mind, into his life. That, that God would work in his heart. That he would let God give the plan. That God would work. That God's work would be done in God's way for God's glory. And that it would be accomplished because of God's support. And so, in, in my life, I'm trying to remember not to come to God with my plan and say, okay, God, here it is, bless it. But to come to Him and say, God, what's your plan? What do you want? What do you want in my life? What do you want in the life of this church? What would you do, God? Show it to me. And then knowing that if we do it in your way, that it will have your support in every way, shape, and form. So through the book of Nehemiah, through his experiences, what has God done in your heart? What has he done in your life? I sure hope that you're different than when we started last fall in Nehemiah. I hope you're different than you were last Sunday in your, in your faithfulness to God. And you're seeking his face in your life. And you're wanting 
His will, not your own, to be accomplished in your life, in your family. And there, there is a lot of leadership stuff in here. And, and men and dads, I hope you are listening and paying attention. Because the onus and responsibility for leadership in the family and in the church is on us. Because that's the way God planned it from the beginning. We know that from Timothy. So how are you different today than you were last year? I should see more smiles. (laughs) Because I hope they're good changes. To have more faith in Him, more trust in Him, more reliance on Him. Father, thank You for Nehemiah. Thank you for the godly example that he was. And, and Father, as Second Timothy says, help us to be faithful that we will teach the next generation to be faithful to you. That your will will be accomplished in our lives. That your will will be accomplished in this church in Newberry, Michigan. That we will seek your face, Father. That we will seek your will and your plan for this church and for this community. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.